0: Well, if you've ever watched Christmas movies on repeat, uh, like literally the same movie playing over and over again for 24 hours around Christmas, you'll likely remember this scene. Ralphie is helping his dad in the middle of the night fix the tire on the car. Now, Mr. Parker's hand accidentally pops up, hits the plan of bolts that Ralphie is holding, and they fly into the air. And I'm about to quote to you the script from A Christmas Story. Here it goes. Remember, Ralphie is a little child, and now he's an adult, and he's narrating the scene. Here it is. Oh, for one brief moment, I saw all the bolts silhouetted against the lights of the traffic, and then they were gone. Here's Ralphie, the young Ralphie. He says, oh, for." <laughs> Ralphie is adult narrating. Only I didn't say fudge. I said the word, the big one, the queen mother of dirty words, the F dash 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 word. And Mr. Parker says, what did you say? And he says, uh, um. And Mr. Parker said, that. that's what I thought you said. Get in the car, go on. Now, Ralphie Adult narrating, it was all over. I was dead. What would it be? The guillotine hanging, the chair, the rack? The Chinese water torture? Oh mere child's play compared to what surely awaited me. I don't know about you, maybe you had a moment like this when you were growing up. I still remember when my first four-letter choice word rolled off my tongue in front of my mom, and it was not a good day for me. But the reason I share all this with you, right, is to briefly illustrate what we already know to be true. No matter what our culture says, we know deep down that our words really do matter we all know that our words are powerful when we speak them they do something in our world they can bring about encouragement or they can bring about harm they can bring about healing and hope and they can empower and inspire and really do so much more and moreover they reveal who we really are I remember my dad once telling me and maybe your parents said something like this son your words are everything if people can't trust your words they won't be able to trust you. But you see, if you have a pulse, and I know all of you do, you know the opposite of this is true too, that we've all misused our words. We speak half-truths. We harm. We break promises all the time. And while this might be incredibly commonplace for us to do, the book of Proverbs wants us to see that we'll never grow wise in this world Unless we learn how to become wise with our tongues. You know this, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about our tongues. Outside of the topic of wisdom itself, the Bible, 13%, as much as it gets outside of wisdom itself, of every one of the Proverbs is about speaking our tongues, our lips, the way that we handle our words, over 10%, or over 13% of the whole book of Proverbs talks about this. And I think one of the reasons that we need to touch on it, because maybe the Bible is telling us something about how incredibly important it is. Because if you would have been like me, sitting in your chair, you know, years ago, I would have said, why did I just give up my Wednesday night to come hear some guy talk about our words? And that's the point. Because we don't think it's that important. It doesn't weigh on us with the import that it weighs on the Proverbs writer because the Proverbs writer knows something about our words that we can't quite see yet. And so tonight we're going to take a look at what the Proverbs have to say about speech, how broken it can become, and how we can grow wisely in it. And the Bible is concerned with all areas of our lives. We have to remember that, being conformed to the image of Christ. And this cannot happen apart from the words that we say and how we use them. Think about it like this. Could you imagine what our world would look like if we use our words rightly? I mean, think about that. What if there was never a harsh word spoken? There was never slander used. You kept all of your promises. Never a harsh post on social media. Never an idle word. Can you envision a world like that? Most can't. But it's the vision of the world that the scriptures are actually giving us. So, tonight we're going to look at what our words do what our words are, and lastly, what our words are for. And so let's start by taking a look at that first heading there, what our words do. And I'm going to primarily be in two Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 18 and 13, 3. You can find them there on your sheet. Our words are not nothing. I want you to understand that. Our words are not nothing, precisely because they are charged with power. They have the power to accomplish incredible things in their Hearers. Take a look at verse 1218. Did you read it there? There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is saying that our words can do polar opposites. On the one hand, they can wound, like a sword going deep into the person of another. There can be profound harm done to others. And like many wounds, they can damage in ways that always lingers and can never be recovered from. It's like a sword thrust. I mean, I don't know about you, but don't we all have someone in our lives whose criticism, whose harsh word we still carry around with us? A coach, a teacher, a parent, an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe a former friend. You see, even in the best cases where forgiveness is asked for and granted, the wound It still remains, doesn't it? And yet, the proverb tells us as well, on the other hand, that our words can bring healing too. A word at the right time has the power to lift the spirits, to bring encouragement, and to give hope. Do you see what this is saying? The power of the words can do both. And it's showing us something incredible. I can remember this. Um, I know this to be true in my own life. When I was in seventh grade, all I wanted to do was play baseball. And the time came for middle school baseball tryouts. And rightly so, because I was slower, because I couldn't hit the ball as far as the other guys could, I didn't make the team. But I'll never forget, when the day after the team was posted, and therefore the cut on who was was made or not, I found a letter inside of my locker. It was from the coach, who was my favorite teacher the year before in sixth grade. And he wrote me this long, heartfelt letter about how proud of me he was, and how he really appreciated my character and my trying. Now, I don't know about you, but do you think that that made a difference in my life? I'm telling you about it 30 years later. It stuck with me. I don't remember a lot of things from my seventh grade year, but I think what I want you to see is that that is powerful words of healing. And what about you? Don't we know the power of someone using their words in our lives to bring about powerful healing? I mean, of you know the writer, author, speaker, Brene Brown. She's a wonderful speaker. And one of the things that she says is the two most powerful words in the English language are me too. Me too. Why? Because they communicate empathy. They're shared experience. But I get you because we have gone through this together. And the very speaking of those words can bring about an incredible profoundly healing point. My point is simple. Our words have the power in our hearers to heal and harm. But that's not all the Proverbs are telling us. Did you catch it as well in, uh, in Proverbs 13.3? Perhaps surprisingly, the Proverbs tell us that our words not only have the power for harm or good in our hearers, but well, listen up. The Proverbs tell us too that our words have that exact same power over our lives as well. They have it not over the hearer, but the speaker as well. Look at 13.3 when it says this. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Who opens wide his lips, he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You know what that means? The first half tells us that keeping our lives is in our speech. There is an inbuilt fabric to the universe. How we use our words is directly proportional to how well life will go for us. Guard your mouth, keep your life. That's what the proverb is saying. But the opposite is true as well. The proverb tells us the opening wide is a reference. I don't mean to be gross and graphic about this, but it's actually an image of sexual lewdness. And it's saying that it's a sexual lewdness that that utterly disregards the norms of right sexual expression. In the same way, in an analogous way, ruin is to those who open their mouth wide and cannot control his or her speech. I love what the author-writer Bruce Waltke says. Think about it like this. The fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. What an image of the power of our words to bring our own ruin and harm. So what's the implication? What's the point? It's simple. The Proverbs are saying that if you want to grow wise, you have, and you have to, if you want your life to go well with you, you have to see what your words have the power to do. The old adage, I just want to put this ever so clearly. Y'all remember singing it? I bet. That what? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will what? Never harm me. That is utter bunk. It's utter bunk when you read the scriptures because it's saying the exact opposite. And we all know that experientially. A suggestion to you. Do you practice and cultivate with your speech ways that bring about healing and good, both in your life and in others? Remember, wisdom is a practice. It isn't something that's learned overnight. You don't wake up one Thursday and then all your speech is all of a sudden different. One thing that we do as a leadership team in RUF every year around Thanksgiving is that we gather to encourage one another. We speak to each other into how they have been gifted and how they have been used by God. And it is amazing, y'all. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Because as most would say, after that experience has happened is done, they would say this. We never talk to people like that. We never just look at people in the eye and say, I'm really thankful for you. You know what? I'm really encouraged by your gifts. And what's really amazing is that when I get to hear students say this, I like to say this. I say, why do you think that we don't do that? I don't know. Well, don't you think that we should? I mean, it seems like our happiness and our joy and now the other is bound up in it. You know what? That's the power of our words. What's the takeaway here? Do you have a community of people that you can speak life into and that they can speak life into you in ways that are not characterized by sarcasm and criticism in ways that really get down to the heart of things where you can feel encouraged and know the power of the redeeming work of words that is what I want you to begin to see tonight that the Proverbs are telling us that we have our words do incredible things They can bring life and healing and hope. At the same time, they can bring ruin and despair. And I want you to grow wise here. And the only way that you will come about that is by seeing what your words do. But as the Proverbs show us, our words not only do things, our words actually are something too. What do I mean? Let's take a look. Secondly, at the second point that I want to make, what our words are. Firstly, what our words do. Secondly, what our words are. Now, I'm going to put up on the screen two scriptures that I failed to get printed on there. Um, this, this again, it's from the book of Proverbs, but I want you to be able to see these as I talk about them. I'm going to read them together for us. Proverbs 12:17 and 27:19. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. 29, 27, 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. Now, these are critical if we're going to understand, if we want to grow wise with our words. What are they saying? First, twelve seventeen. the first one up there, is saying that external conduct reveals internal character. Say it again. External conduct reveals internal character. In fact, the word for speaks up there actually means to breathe out. So to breathe out, the breather out of truth gives honest evidence. The man gives honest evidence, though, because that is what he or she is on the inside. They're an honest person. They're breathing out who they are. And likewise, the false witness, the second half, brings forth utter deceit. Why? Why? Because that is who they are on the inside. They are a deceitful person. So the point there is: external conduct reveals internal, internal character. But secondly, twenty-seven nineteen tells us very simply that the heart of a man or a woman shows us who the man or woman is in their entirety. Remember, I said this early this semester: capture the heart, capture the man. Grab hold of the heart. If you can orient the heart, you'll orient the person. Why? Because they're the same thing in Proverbs thought. If we put these two together, we see that our words are actually something. We might say it like this. They are something. What is that? Here it is. That our words are actually us. They're actually us. Your words reveal your deepest character. They are the truest index of who you are. And that is why your words ought to matter to you. They are always, every step of the way, revealing who you are at your core. Not who you wish you would be, not who you wish other people want you to be, but who you actually are. And here's the thing. This is very, very similar to what Jesus himself talked about in the New Testament. When he talked about how the spiritual life worked. I'm going to read you something that Jesus himself said in Matthew 7. So, every healthy tree bears forth good fruit. But the diseased tree bears forth bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. What's he saying? What is on the outside is coming about because of what it is on the inside. What is on the inside produced something. And an orange tree, for example, will never produce an apple, right? Y'all know that. It's not rocket science, right? Rocket science, right? But also, here's the thing. If it did produce an apple, it would be an apple tree. And if an orange tree is healthy, it's what? It's going to produce oranges. In another place, Jesus says it like this. Moving off the tree, back to our words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I think that's very important. Jesus is telling us that our words reveal our character. They show to the world. and They show to you too <coughs> who you really are on the inside. and What you're really made of. If I want to know you, you know all i got to do. And if you want to know me, all you've got to do is what? Listen to my words. Does that feel heavy, y'all? Does that feel heavy because I don't like that you know me (laughs) based on my words? Because I'm sarcastic? Because I, you know, I I use words wrongly? I mean, my goodness, I'm in a profession where I get paid to run my mouth. That's really sobering for me. So what are we what are we saying here? A couple of things. This brings us back to the question. Proverbs continually gets us to address what sort of person do I want to become? Don't you see it? It is a question about character. And so, what habits mark your very speech right now? A couple of illustrations. Are you someone given over to criticism and sarcasm, especially as you speak to others in the world around you? Someone once pointed out to me recently that the word sarcasm literally means a tearing of the flesh. That's what sarcasm means. Sart comes from flesh. It's a tearing of the flesh. And so it literally means that when we speak sarcastically to people, somebody's flesh is being ripped, either theirs or ours. We're destroying one another. And when we speak this way, we're literally, we're, we're, we're killing community. We're killing intimacy when we speak like that. Secondly, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you're someone who's prone to gossip, which is really just betraying confidence of another. Listen, whether the information that you say is true or not. Some people might say, well, it's true, so it's okay if I share it. Nope, that's still gossip. And a test question for gossip is always this. Was I given permission by the person I'm about to talk about to say what I'm about to say about them. There's your test question on whether it's gossip or not. You see, if you're given over to this, I want you to see you are revealing who you are. And moreover, the Proverbs say we're living as fools. We're living as fools. So here's the question. What does my speech, my words, and the ways that I use them reveal about me and others about who I am? And likely, when we see that, Like I just told you, you're not going to like what you see. And so where's the hope for us? Where's that hope? And this, I want you to see, is why we need the gospel, y'all. Because the good news is that God has sent His Son Jesus into the world for us to live and to die precisely for folks like me who hurt others with their words. And that's really good news. And this reveals so much about who we are, namely that we're in need because of our words, and it forces me to see where I need to change. You see, part of the amazing news of the gospel, friends, is that Jesus does, listen to me, Jesus does save you right where you are. You don't have to clean up to come to him. Amen, hallelujah, that's the best news you're going to hear tonight. But Jesus' grace when he saves us never leaves us there. He always changes us. He's always at work making us look more and more like Christ. And so, hang with me on this. God's saving grace is never disconnected from his training grace that makes us more like him. That comes straight out of the book of Titus, chapter 2. You can read about it in verses 11 and 12. But here's what I want you to see tonight. The good news is that the Spirit takes up residence in your life to begin to actually change the way you talk. And so if you find yourself in need of grace tonight for your words, can I just say this? Go to him. Ask him to change you. Ask him to forgive you where you have misspoke. And ask him to teach you how to use your words for good. Because after all, that is what they were truly meant for. And this is where the Proverbs takes us lastly to show us finally what our words are for. What our words are for. Let's take a look at this. This is where the bulk of the uh, Proverbs is going to come in. But in order to understand what our speech is for, we need to understand our original design and intent. So I've got to go back to Genesis for just a moment. When God made mankind, He did so in a way that we would take up the task of filling the world with God's presence and His reign. In this way, y'all, we are called image bearers. We reflect God's Presence in the world. And the way that we were supposed to do this was not only with the culture that we were making and the relationships that we were having in our life before God, but also, guess how? With our speech. That Our speech was to reflect something of God Himself. We, too, were to speak in a way that imaged or reflected how God Himself spoke. And when you consider the way that God himself spoke in Genesis chapter 1, do you remember what was happening then? God, when he spoke, life just erupted. Worlds were made, and planets, and rivers, and the stratosphere, and newts, and rainbow trout, and coffee beans, and even beets. Yes, even those vegetables that you hate, right? God made yeah, those beats. Maybe sick beats too. I don't know. And I don't think the headphones are around. <laughs> and here's the thing: you were created too. You were created too. And the point is, hear me well on this. The point is, is that when God speaks, life out of nothing happens. Out of nothing, life happens. It just bubbles forth, and it's in this way that Proverbs speak 2 to speaks. About us as his image bearers. Listen to this verse. The mouth of the righteous, here it is, is a fountain of life. I love that because what it is saying is that when we speak, our words are for the purpose of blessing and life. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, the Proverbs says. And our words have a purpose. Here it is to bring, to create, to restore in ways. That are similar to the ways that God Himself does. We are to go into the world and bless and to speak. So we speak to the hurting to heal. We speak to those doubtful of God's grace, truth. We encourage the depressed. We assure the anxious. We remind and warn the wayward. But in all of our ways, our words are to bring life. <laughs> To the world and the community around us, like water, the wellspring, the wellspring that it is a fountain, as it were. Our words are necessary to do the same. Y'all see what I'm getting at there? Does that make sense? Like I'm trying to tell you that our words have incredible power to bring life where there is ruin, and that's the point. That's what Jesus. That's what God did when He spoke. He brings out beauty and restoration and renewal. And that's, what he, and that's what he's calling us to do with our very words. That's what Proverbs wants us to see. So let's get really practical for a few more minutes. In light of the fact that our words are meant to bring life and flourishing to others and the world around us, how can we begin to speak in this way? Well, here we go. I've created an acronym for wise speech. And here it is. It's crafty. Crafty. It's not only a craft, Okay. But I want you to be skilled at it, though. I want you to be thoughtful about it. And I want you to be wise about it. And in that sense, I mean crafty. So what does crafty speech look like? First, here it is. Ready? Crafty speech is, first of all, calm. It's calm speech. Look at 15.1. What does the Proverbs say? It reads as follows. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The soft speech is not harsh speech. It isn't urgent. Wise speech will go forth in a way that gives people, listen, the space to consider what you were saying and not be berated by harshness on the one hand or not be manipulated into a false sense of urgency. Wise speech is calm. Secondly, secondly, the R, it's reserved. Look at Proverbs 18.2. And then 29.11. 18.2 reads as follows. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And then verse 29.11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. That's a hard one for a lot of us, isn't it? Because wise speech needs to be measured speech. Here it is. <laughs> you don't have to say everything you feel. To do so is called folly. Your speech, if it wants to be wise, is to be reserved. And I'm telling you, y'all need to help me on this too. But you don't always have to actually, listen to me, how many of y'all are last worders? The argument goes out, and you got a what? I'm firing one more shot across the bow. (laughs) Folly, says the Bible. Foolishness reserve speech. Thirdly, A, speech is apt. And what do I mean by that? I'm going to explain it to you. Why speech will deliver what is suitable for the situation. That's what aptness is. Think suitability. What does the situation require of me and how do I best bring life into it in a way that's going to help that situation? I love what C.S. Lewis writes when he's, he wrote a chil- children, a child wrote him and said, I want to be a good writer. How do I become a good writer? And he had this sort of series of things that he wrote about, and he said, one of the things he said was this, don't use words too big for the subject. Don't say infinitely when you mean very. Why? Otherwise, you'll have no word left when you want to talk about something really infinite. Wise speech is apt speech. It chooses its words very, very wisely, suitable to the situation. Boy, we need that, don't we? if we do, we'll become wise. Fourthly, F, few. Our words are few. Sometimes, if you read 1019, I'll read it real quickly. 1019 reads as follows. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. There it is. Maybe the most important, I mean, maybe uh, one of the most hardest things for us, the wisest words are sometimes the fewest. And that's what I love about some of y'all. There's actually another proverb that I'm I'm, uh, paraphrasing and it's basically like even the fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> so for those of you that are quiet, you might be fooling a lot of us. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. You can overspeak and become a fool. And this is just where our, our sort of colloquial speech comes in. Just keep your mouth shut. And you'll be wise. That's what it's telling us. Or on a saying, I'm sure we'll catch on after tonight, mark it down. February 28th. 2018, here it is, write it down. The loquacious are not always bodacious. You can look that up. It's catching on tonight. It's catching on tonight. The loquacious are not always bodacious. Okay, fifthly, T. This is what makes it a craft, y'all. This is what makes it a craft. 24, 26. I love this one. This is a great image here. There's no way you'll get this unless you understand what's happening. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. That is utterly foreign to me. I had to look, with this up. I'll look this up. But it's maybe the most important. We say true things. That's what our words are supposed to do. We speak true things. This proverb re- references kissing because kissing happened between equals. When social equals would have met, they would have kissed on the lips. If the rank difference was just a little, they would have kissed each other on the cheek. And if the great, great difference was greater, the lesser would have bowed to the greater. Why is that so important? The Proverbs are saying that our words need to be true. Our words need to be true to reality. Our words, when they are true to reality, it's an honest answer. In doing so, that's the kissing of the lips. The Proverbs say that our words are not meant to deceive. I love what my ethics teacher used to tell us. If we tell the truth. We tell the whole truth and we tell nothing but the truth, but we need to add one thing to it. We need to tell the plain truth as well, because here's the thing. You can use the truth to deceive. I know what I'm talking about. You can twist true words, true words, but the intent is to deceive. So we tell the plain truth. Now, here's the thing. Speaking like that is a craft. You can see it. But if your speech is characterized by all these ways speaking, you can add the why and then it will become crafty. And what is the why? It is yippee. Okay? That's all it is. Okay? So you can celebrate that you're a crafty speaker. Okay? That you've nailed this and you've done a good job. Good job you did it. Your mouth is now a fountain of life. Okay? So yippee. I need to lay the plane on this so you all hang with me. In the last scene of The Darkest Hour, has anybody seen it yet? Oh, man. It's... Mm. It's a movie about Winston Churchill and England in World War II. Churchill is delivering a speech about never quitting and never giving up in the face of tyranny. And here, one of the world's greatest leaders uses his words to bring about good and flourishing. After the speech, a man asks Halifax, as Churchill's rival, what just happened? And Halifax responded, he just mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. I love that. I love it. Why? Because he used his words to go and rescue those who were trapped and who were in danger. Why are we told to use our words in this exact same way? To be a fountain of life? Because we are told of a greater word that has done the same. In John chapter 1, we're told that God himself was going to speak in a way that he hadn't yet done in human history. Man and their sin was in desperate need, not only for their misuse of words, but for all of their sin and misery. And so God would speak, and when he did, it would, like all of those years ago in the garden, bring life and flourishing. It would bring new life, beginning in the hearts of all those he would speak to. And he would do this for us. But this time, and this is what is so amazing, God would speak in a person. Said otherwise, the word would become flesh. It would be the very character of God with skin on. And this, of course, is who? The person of Jesus, the word, made flesh. And as the flesh word of God... He reveals the very true character of God. That God comes to us to rescue us, to deliver us from all of our sin and misery. How? The Word. Jesus uses His power not to crush people, but to be crushed for them. That they might see the true heart, the true character of God Himself for them. And when you see Him, Jesus, doing that for you, it is changes you friends words and all because when God speaks through the word Jesus life follows new life real life eternal life in the right here and now and so do you hear him speaking do you he has come that you might have life. Let's pray.